Okay, group to Nabin, America. Tonight we're going to learn about Sumerian history. Uh, streamed two days ago. Sumerian origins. What will happen when they return? Anunnaki Nibiru Council of Twelve. Sumerian origins movie. Following Sumerian texts are some of the most fascinating ever deciphered regarding Enki and the Flood. Brian Morhen has pioneered this research with his grandfather George Morhen, the curator of the Morhen Collection in Liechtenstein. It reads as follows. After the deluge, I will return the Sumerian lands beyond the oceans. So did Ninurta proclaim this. Nana, Enlil's firstborn on earth, has a peculiar wish. He wishes for the deluge to survive not in earth's skies, but on the moon. Enki arched his eyebrow. Enlil, though perplexed, gave his approval. Ishkur, the youngest son of Enlil, has decided to remain on earth with his father. It was decided that Nana's earthborn children, Utu and Inanna, would remain. Enki and Ninki chose to remain and Earth did not abandon their decision. They announced it with pride. Igigi and Sapanit cried out, I will not abandon. Marduk's response was one of anger. One by one, Enki's other sons declared their intention to remain. Nergal and Gibil, Ninagal and Ningishzida, and finally, Demuzi. When all eyes were on Ninmar, she proclaimed with pride, my life's work is here. I will not abandon the human beings I created. Her words infuriated the Anunnaki and Igiki, who inquired about the fate of the earthlings. Let the inhabitants of the earth perish for their abominations, declared Enlil. Enki exclaimed to Enlil, We have created a marvellous being. It must have been due to our efforts. Enlil responded with his own shouted words. From the beginning, each choice you made was correct. You granted primitive workers procreation and endowed them with knowledge. You hold the powers of the All-Creator in your hands. You subsequently sinned even by abominations. Adapa, you conceived via fornication. You gave by understanding his line. You took his offspring to the heavens and imparted them with our knowledge. Every rule you have broken, every command you have disregarded. A brother was murdered because of you, by a civilized earthling brother, because Marduk, your son, the Igigi, intermarried with earthlings, as did he. Who is lordly from Nibiru, and who owns the earth? Enough, enough. Stop listening to me. These outrages cannot continue. Now that a disaster caused by an unknowable fate has been decreed, Allow what must occur. Thus did Enlil vehemently proclaim. But all leaders solemnly swear to allow events to transpire following Enlil's demands. Others on Enlil's side followed. Nergal, one of Enki's sons, was the first to take the oath, followed by the other. I bow to your command. Marduk said to Enlil. But what value does swearing have? If Igigi's spouses abandon them, 
will fear not spread among the inhabitants of earth. Inmar was in tears, and she whispered the words of the oath. Enlil regarded his sibling Enki. It is the king and council's desire. He addressed him with the following phrase. Why will you swear me to secrecy? Enki's brother Enlil asked. You made the decision. It is a commandment on earth. I can't stop the floodwaters, and I can't save the masses of earthlings. Therefore, for what oath do you wish to bind me? inquired Enki's brother. Let everything transpire as if predetermined by fate. Let it be known as Enlil's decision, and let Enlil alone bear the responsibility for ever. Enki treated all pronounced identically. Enki then left the assembly, accompanied by Marduk. With immediate commands, Enlilling the assembly's call to order resulted in assigning tasks and adopting resolutions. Places of assembly are designated, equipment is gathered, and chariots are assigned to those who will depart and remain. Returning citizens of Nibiru were the first to depart. They boarded the celestial vessels while embracing and arm-locking in both happiness and sorrow. One by one, the Sipa vehicles roared into the air. Initially, those left behind travelled without incident. Screams were first audible, then muffled. After the completion of the launches toward Nibiru, Marduk and the Agigi with earthling spouses took their turns. Marduk gathered them all at the landing place and gave them a choice. With him, Sarpanit, two sons and the daughters, Talamu, where disaster awaited, or returned to Nibiru with him, Sarpanit, two sons and the daughters or to find refuge from the deluge, dispersed to remote mountainous regions on earth. Enlil then considered the survivors and assigned them chariots in groups. Inerta to the mountainous regions beyond the oceans. Enlil to report on the rumblings of the earth. The White Land assigned Nergal and Eshkigal the duty of keeping an eye on Enlil. Enlil tasked Ishgur with defending against an onslaught of earthlings. Install and fortify a barrier and a bolt to prevent access. Zippar, place of the celestial chariots, was the focal point of all preparations. The tablets of destiny from Nibru Key were transferred to Zippar, Enlil creating a temporary bond between heaven and earth. Enki Enlil, his brother, then dressed him, saying, However, if the catastrophe survives, everything that transpired must be remembered. Let us safely bury record tablets in Sipar deep within the earth, so that what has been accomplished from one planet to another will be discovered in the coming days. The words of Enki's brother were received with approval. In the golden chests were kept M.E.s and other tablets. In Sipar they are interred for posterity in the depths of the earth. Thus prepared, the leaders awaited the departure signal. In its great circuit, the approach of Nibiru was closely monitored. Enki's sister Ninmar addressed him during that period of anxious waiting, and Enki told her that Enlil had lost focus due to his preoccupation with humans and all other forms of life. 
other living creatures, some of which we recognize from Nibiru and the majority from Earth, will perish when the tidal wave of water sweeps over the land. Let us, you and I, preserve their life-giving essences and extract their vitality for safekeeping. Inmar, who gave life to Enki's words, said, I will do it in Shuruba, and you will do it with Apsu's living creatures. So to Enki she said, Enki and Ninmar took on a difficult task while the others sat idly by. Ninmar was assisted in Shurubak by some of her female assistants. Enki was assisted by Ningishzida in the Abzu at the ancient House of Life. The collected male and female essences and life eggs were preserved in pairs of each species in Shurubak and Abzu. Living species must recombine for the duration of the Earth's circuit. At that time Ninurta sent word. The Earth's tremors are ominous. At that time Nergal and Arishkigal sent word. The white land is shaken. The Anunnaki congregated at Sipa in anticipation of the day of the deluge. Summary of the Enki Dream Deluge Tablet Enki dreams that the mysterious messenger appears. Enki is tasked with saving humanity via his son, Ziusudra. Enki manipulates Ziusudra to construct a submarine. A navigator arrives on board with the seeds of life from Earth. As Nibiru approaches, the Whiteland ice sheets begins to slide. The resulting tsunami floods the planet with water. The remaining Anunnaki lament the disaster as they orbit the Earth. The waters recede. Enlil discovers Enki's duplicity while falling into a whirlwind. Enki persuades Enlil that it was predestined by the All-Creator. The surviving landing platform serves as a temporary base of operations. In a creation chamber, plants and animals are created. Gold is discovered in abundance in the lands beyond the seas. Ancient lands are the site of the establishment of new space facilities. They consist of two manufactured mounds and a lion-shaped carving. Ninmar proposes a peace plan to end the escalating conflict. The Enki Dream Tablet The Anunnaki congregated at Sipa in anticipation of the Day of the Deluge. Lord Enki had a dream vision when anticipation was mounting while he was asleep in his quarters. Enki recognized him as Galzu when he approached him. In his right hand he held a stylus for engraving. He held a gleaming lapis lazuli tablet in his left hand. And as he approached Enki's bed and was able to stand, Galzu said, Your accusations against Enlil were unjustified, for he spoke only the truth, and the decision that will be known as Enlil's decision was not made by him, but by fate. The fate of the earthlings is now in your hands, as they will inherit. Bring your son Ziusudra without causing him to break his oath, and let the impending catastrophe be revealed. A boat that can withstand a watery avalanche, a submersible one, of which I am displaying an example on this tablet. Permit him access to save himself and his family. This is the will of the all-powerful Creator. 
and Gazu, in the dream vision, drew an image with the stylus on the tablet and placed it by the side of Enki's bed. Then the image faded, the dream vision ended, and Enki awoke with a shiver. Enki remained in his bed for some time, pondering the significance of his dream vision with awe. What omen did it hold? Then, as he got out of bed, the tablet was there. What he had witnessed physically at his bedside was merely a dream. Lord Enki grasped the tablet with hands trembling. On the tablet, he observed a design of an oddly shaped boat. The tablet's edge measurement markings indicated the dimensions of the boat. Lord Enki hurriedly dispatched his envoys at dawn, filled with awe and the desire to find Gazu. To him I must speak, so he advised them. By evening, everyone had returned and reported to Enki that no one had been able to locate Gazu and that he had long since returned to Nibiru. Enki was especially baffled by the mystery and its portent, which he endeavoured to decipher. Despite his inability to solve the mystery, the message was clear. That night, Enki went to the reed, but not where Ziusudra was sleeping. Not having broken the oath, Lord Enki addressed the hut's wall instead of Ziusudra. Wake up, wake up, Enki addressed the reed wall. He spoke from behind the reed screen. A dreadful storm will ravage all settlements and cities. In my words, please pay close attention to my directives and adhere. Enki spoke to Ziusudra from behind the reed screen as the words roused him. Reed hut, reed hut. A human race and its descendants will perish. This is the final decision by Anu, Enlil, and Ninmar, as determined by Enlil's assembly. Now, please pay close attention to what I am saying and my message. Abandon your home, construct a boat, forgo possessions, and save a life. The design and dimensions of the boat you must construct are depicted on a tablet that I will leave by the hut's wall. Ensure the entire boat is covered. The sun must not be visible from within. Flip and roll. The tackle and pitch must be solid and tight to repel water. Construct the boat in seven days and invite your family to join you. Food and drinking water pile up on the boat, and even domesticated animals bring something. Then, on the appointed day, you will be given a signal. A water-savvy boating guide will be assigned to you, and on that day, you must board the boat and close its hatch securely. A massive deluge from the south will devastate lands and life. Your boat will be torn from its moorings and tossed about. The boat's captain will lead you to a safe harbour. Only through you will the germ of civilization endure. Ziusudra was dumbfounded when Enki's voice ceased, and he fell to his knees, exclaiming, My lord, I have heard your voice. Reveal your face, my lord, he exclaimed. I have not spoken to you, Ziusudra. I have spoken to the reed wall. 
As Enki explained, I am bound by Enlil's decree and the oath that all Anunnaki swore. If you see my face, you will indeed die. Now, recheck, heed my words. My Lord Enki has annoyed Lord Enlil. I'm sailing to Enki's home in the Abzu. Maybe Enlil will be appeased. The boat's purpose, a closely guarded Anunnaki secret, must be protected. When the citizens ask, you will respond. A period of silence followed. Diusudra emerged from the barrier of reeds. In the moonlight, he saw and picked up a lapis lazuli tablet. It was depicted as a boat with notches indicating its dimensions. Diusudra was the wisest of all civilized men. He comprehended what he had heard. He proclaimed to the citizens, Lord Enlil was displeased with Lord Enki, my master, and as a result, he was hostile towards me. I will no longer reside in this city or enter the Eddy. Instead, I will sail to the Abzu, the domain of Lord Enki. In a boat that must be constructed quickly, I will depart from this place. As a result, the Lord Enlil's wrath will abate, hardships will cease, and the Lord Enlil's blessings will shower upon you in the future. People gathered in the vicinity of Ziusudra as the morning was still young. They encouraged one another to construct the boat for him as quickly as possible. Children transported bitumen from the marshes, while elders transported boatwood. As the woodworkers hammered the planks together, bitumen melted, like Ziusudra in a pot. He sealed the interior and exterior of the boat with bitumen. As depicted on the tablet, the boat was completed on the fifth day. The townspeople, eager to see Ziusutra depart, brought food and water to the boat. Their food was taken from them. They were in a hurry to appease Enlil. Additionally, four-legged animals were driven into the boat, while field birds flew in independently. Diyasudra, his spouse, and his son set sail on the boat. Their wives and children also accompanied them. Anyone who wishes to visit the residence of Lord Enki is welcome. Thus, Diyasudra declared to the gathered crowd. Imagining Enlil's abundance, only a few artisans responded to the call. Ninogal, Lord of the Great Waters, boarded the ship on the sixth day. Son of Enki, he was chosen as the ship's navigator. He held a cedarwood box in his hands and kept it by his side in the boat. It contained the life essences and life eggs of living creatures, which the lords Enki and Ninmar had gathered, from Enlil's wrath to be concealed, so that life could be resurrected if the earth was willing. Inagal explained to Ziyasudra that every beast in the boat was concealed in pairs. With Ninagal and Ziyasudra in the boat, the arrival of the seventh day was now expected. This is the account of the deluge that swept the earth, how the Anunnaki escaped, and how Ziyasudra survived in the boat. The deluge was predicted to occur in Shah's 121-year-old year. In the tenth shah of Ziyasudra's life, the deluge was approaching, and an avalanche loomed in the constellation of the lion. The earth rumbled and groaned in agony for several days before the deluge. 
Nibiru was visible in the heavens as a bright star for several nights before the catastrophe. There was darkness during the day, and the moon was consumed by a monster at night. The earth began to tremble because of an unknown force. In the light of dawn, a dark cloud appeared on the horizon. The light of the morning faded as if death's shadow had been concealed. Then there was a thunderclap, and lightning illuminated the sky. Depart, depart. Utu gave Anunnaki the signal. The Anunnaki were elevated to the heavens while crouched in the heavenly ships. The bright eruptions of Ninagal could be seen from 18 leagues away in Shurubon. Button up, closure of the hatch, Ninagal yelled towards the Usudra. They lowered the trap door concealed by the hatch. The boat was completely enclosed at watertight, but a ray of light was able to penetrate the interior. That unforgettable day, the deluge began with a war. The Earth's foundation shook in the white land at the Earth's center. The ice sheet then slid off its foundations with the sound of a thousand thunderclouds. It was drawn away by Nibiru's unseen net force and crashed into the South Sea. It was causing one ice sheet to collide with another. The white land's surface was crumbling like a cracked eggshell. A tsunami appeared out of nowhere, and the sky turned into a wall of water. At the center of the planet, an unprecedented storm began to rage. Its winds propelled the wall of water, and the tidal wave was spreading northward. The wall of rushing water reached the Abzu lands from the north. It traveled from there to Edin's settled lands. When the tidal wave reached the sea wall, Shuruba arrived. The boat of Ziyasutra was dislodged from its moorings by a tidal wave, which tossed it about like an abyss of water and swallowed it. The boat remained stable despite being wholly submerged. Not a single drop of water entered. People defeated the storm's wave in a bloody battle. The Anunnaki celestial ships were circling the earth. No one but his fellow man could see as the ground had vanished, and only water remained. Everything that was once on the ground was washed away by the mighty waters. By the end of the day, the watery wall had engulfed the mountains. They squatted, squeezing into the compartments and pressing against the outer walls as they pondered what was occurring below that caused them to strain. Inmar, resembling a woman in labor, cried out from the celestial ship where she was, My work is comparable to drowned dragonflies in a pond. All life has been eradicated by the crashing sea wave. Thus Ninmar wept and wailed. Inanna, who was with her, also wept and lamented. Everything that once lived there is now clay. Thus did Ninmar and Inanna weep. They cried to alleviate their emotions. In those days, the Anunnaki aboard the other celestial vessels were humbled by the sight of unbridled fury, a force greater than their own. They were famished for the fruits of the planet and thirsty for fermented elixir. Unfortunately, Clay's time has passed. As a result of the massive tidal wave that engulfed the Earth, planet was submerged. This is what the Anunnaki said to one another. The heavens' drains opened, 
and precipitation descended upon the earth. Waters from above and the waters of the great below were mixed for seven days. When the water wall reached its limit, the salt ceased. However, the rain continued for an additional forty days and nights. The Anunnaki looked down from their perches and saw a sea of water where once there had been dry land. And where mountains had once reached the heavens, their summits now resembled islands in the ocean. And everything on land that wasn't alive in the avalanche of water perished. Then, as in the beginning, their basin's waters were collected. The water level gradually decreased as it fluctuated day by day. It was a lovely day with a light breeze. Then, forty days after the worldwide deluge, the rain ceased. After forty days, the boat's hatch opened, revealing Ziusudra's location to the survey. The boat was bobbing on a vast ocean, with no other signs of life. All living things, including humans, have been eradicated from the Earth's surface. We are among the few survivors, but there is no dry land to step on. So lamented Ziusudra to his relatives as he sat down and wept. Inogal directed the boat toward the twin peaks of Arata at Enki's command. He constructed a sail for her and steered the vessel toward Mount Salvation. Ziusudra's impatience led to the release of the birds on board. He sent them to confirm the existence of dry land and surviving vegetation. Both the swallow and the raven he released turned to the boat. He released a dove, which returned with a tree branch. Now Ziusudra was aware that dry land had emerged from the ocean. A few days later, the boat by the rocks was captured. And we have reached the Mount of Salvation. Inagal therefore informed Ziusudra. Ziusudra emerged from the boat after the watertight hatch was opened. The sky was clear, the sun shone, and a light breeze blew. He urgently summoned his wife and children. Let us praise the Lord Enki. Let us give thanks to him. Ziusudra addressed them. He used the stones gathered from his sons to construct an altar. He sacrificed an unblemished ewe lamb and a ewe lamb to Enki on his altar. Then he lit a fire on the altar and added fragrant incense. At the time, Enlil said to Enki from his celestial boat, let us descend in whirlwinds from the celestial boats upon the peak of Arada to assess the situation and determine what should be done. While the others circled the earth in their celestial vessels, Enlil and Enki descended upon the summit of Arata in whirlwinds. The two brothers met with a smile, their arms interlocked in happiness. Enlil was then perplexed by the aroma of fire and roasted meat. Which is it? his sibling yelled, who had survived the flood. Let us investigate. Enki responded with humility. They flew their whirlwinds over to the opposite peak for Rata. They observed Ziusudra's boat and landed close to the altar he had constructed. Enlil's rage knew no bounds when he saw Ninagal among the survivors. Everyone on earth had to perish, he yelled angrily at Enki. 
and charged him with the intent to kill him with his bare hands. My son, he is no mere mortal. He is, according to Ziyasudra, Enki cried out. Enlil hesitated for a brief moment. You lied under oath, Ward Enki, he yelled. I addressed a reed wall, not Ziyasudra, Enki told Enlil about the dream vision. Inota and Ninmar had already landed in their whirlwinds upon Ninagar's notification. Inota and Ninmar were not offended by the events described to them. The all-powerful creator desires humanity's survival. Inota therefore informed his father. Ninmar touched her crystal necklace, a gift from Anu, and swore, the annihilation of humanity shall never be repeated. Enlil took them by the hands of Ziusudra and Imzara, his wife, and blessed them. Procreation and multiplication will replenish the earth. Thus ended the ancient era. After the confrontation at Arata, Deluge's waters continued to recede, and the face of the earth gradually emerged from beneath the waves. This is the account of how the planet's survival was restored, and how a new source of gold and other earthlings beyond the oceans were found. Mountain regions were largely undamaged, but the valleys were buried by mud and silt. The Anunnaki surveyed the landscapes from celestial ships and whirlwinds. Everything from the past in Edin and Abzu was covered in mud. Eridu, Nibruki, Shurubak and Sipar were gone entirely. But in the Cedar Mountains, where the excellent stone platform glistened in the sunlight, the landing place which had been established in the past remained. First the land to the chariots signalling by clearing debris and tree branches. One by one, celestial chariots arrived and landed on the platform. The whirlwinds on the platform landed successively. The platform remained intact. The substantial stone blocks at the launch corner remained in place. Then messages were sent to Marduk on Lamu and Nana on the moon. Likewise, they returned to Earth and landed in the exact location. We survived the Great Flood. The planet has been ravaged. The Anunnaki and the Gigi who had been gathered for assembly by Enlil were now summoned. Thus spoke Enlil to them. Lamu was devastated by Nibiru's passage. He must evaluate all recovery options, whether on Earth or elsewhere. So did Marduk relate. Its atmosphere has been sucked away, and its water has evaporated. It is now a place with dust storms. The moon cannot sustain life without the assistance of eagle masks. So did Nunnar recount the other's story, and then he added, with words of adoration, once there, one must recall that it was the leader of Tiamat's host and exclaim, What a companion it is! Earth's fate is tied to it. Enlil placed his arm on his son's shoulders with care. Regarding survival, we are now concerned. Enlil responded similarly to Nanar's mild report. Now sustenance is our top priority. Examine the sealed chamber of creation. He may still find Nibiru's seeds. Thus, Enlil explained to Enki that he was created initially by grains. They discovered the ancient shaft while removing some mud from the platform. 
and they entered the sanctuary after removing the stone blocking the entrance. Copper keys were used to open the seals on the Deerite chests with seals. Inside the chests, in crystal containers, were Nibiru's grain seeds. Once outside, Inurta Enlil was given the seeds, and he said, Go to the mountainside terrace. Let the grains of Nibiru once again provide. Inurta dammed waterfalls, constructed terraces, and instructed the eldest son of Ziusudra in farming in the Cedar Mountains and other mountains. Another assignment was given to Ishpur, his youngest son, and Enlil. Search for fruit-bearing trees in areas where the water had receded. Following responsibilities were assigned to him as the youngest son of fruit cultivator Ziusudra. Ziusudra took a sip of the fruit juice because Anunnaki's elixir was renowned. Ziusudra fell asleep like a drunkard after one sip, another and yet another. Then a gift was presented to the Anunnaki and Earthlings. He opened the chest Ninagal had been carrying, revealing its unexpected contents. Life essences and life eggs in the wombs of the four-legged animals from Ziusudra's boat can be combined. Sheep for wool and meat will multiply, as will cattle for milk and hides. Together with other living creatures, they will repopulate the earth. The middle son of Ziusudra assisted Dumuzi with the shepherding duties assigned by Enki. Enki then turned his attention to the dark-coloured landmass he and his sons had ruled. Together with Ninagal, he dammed the mountains at the confluence of mighty waters and ferocious waterfalls to create a lake where the waters could accumulate. Then, accompanied by Marduk, he surveyed the land between the Abzu and the Great Sea. Where habitations once stood, the river's valley had now to drain it, he pondered. He created an island from the water in the middle of the river where the waters cascaded. He carved twin cabins and sluices from stones above the cabins. From there, he carved two channels in the rocks for the waters and fashioned two narrows for them, permitting the flowing waters from the highlands to be slowed or accelerated and the waters regulated by dams and the two narrows. Muzi and the shepherds settled in the land of the two narrows on the island of Abu, the island of the cabin, where the river's serpentine valley arose from beneath the waters he raised. Enlil sent all of this to Nibiru with pleasure, and Nibiru responded with concern. The close passage that Earth and Lanu caused on Nibiru caused too much damage. The shield of gold dust was torn, and the atmosphere was once again depleted. New gold supplies were required immediately. He went fervently to Abzu Enki with Gibil, his son, to survey and search. All of the gold mines were buried by the water avalanche. In the Edin, Bad-Tibira no longer existed, and there was no room for chariots in Sipa. The hundreds of Anunnaki who toiled on earth in mines in Bad-Tibira were gone. Deluge turned a large number of earthlings into clay as primitive workers. On earth and on Nibiru there was desperation. There is no longer any gold available on earth. Enlil and Enki also announced their visit to Nibiru. 
Inerta returned to the mountain land beyond the oceans after completing his tasks in the Seven Mountains. The avalanche of waters deep cuts into the mountainsides there, he said from that land on the other side of the planet. Uncounted gold nuggets, large and small, fell from the mountainsides. The rivers below collapsed, and the gold could not be hauled without mining. Enlil and Enki dashed to the distant mountain land where they marveled at the discovery. Gold, pure gold, no need for refining or smelting. Everything was a lie. Nibiru corrected what Nibiru wrought. It is a miracle, so Enki explained to Enlil. Who will collect the nuggets, and how will they be delivered to Nibiru? The unseen hand of the creator of all is allowing life to flourish on Nibiru. So said Enlil. Leaders asked each other. Inerta had the following response to the first question. Some earthlings have survived in the high mountain land on this side of Earth. Their leaders are four brothers and four sisters. They saved people on rafts, and their mountaintop is now an island in the middle of a large lake. They are Kain descendants, and they know how to work with metals. They remember me as the protector of their forefathers, the great protector they call me. The leaders were encouraged by the news that other earthlings had survived. Even Enlil, who had planned the abolition of all flesh, was no longer enraged. They claimed it was the creator of all's will to each other. Let us now create a new home for celestial chariots, from gold to Nibiru. For a new plain whose soil has dried and hardened, they searched. They found such a plain near the landing place on a desolate peninsula. It was as flat as a quiet lake, surrounded by white mountains. This is the account of the new place of the celestial chariots, the artifice twin mounts, and how the image of the lion by Marduk was usurped. The Anunnaki chose the heavenly ways of Anu and Lilith in the peninsula. Enlil was reflected on earth. Let the new place of the chariots be precisely on that boundary, and let the heart of the heavens plane reflect. So Enlil suggested to Enki. Once Enki agreed, Enlil took measurements from the skies of distances, drawing a grand design on a tablet for all to see. Let the landing place in the Cedar Mountains be a part of the facilities, he said. The distance between the landing place and the cavalry place he measured was in the midst of this. He designated a location for a new mission control center. He chose a suitable mount and named it the Mount of Way Showing. He directed the construction of a stone platform similar to but smaller than the landing area. A great rock was carved inside and out in its midst to house a new bond heaven earth. A new navel of the earth, the role of Nibru Pi before the deluge to replace the landing path on the twin peaks of Arata in the north was anchored. Enlil, two more sets of twin peaks are required to demarcate the landing corridor, to delimit its boundary and secure its ascent and descent. Mountains can be found in the southern part of the desolate peninsula. Enlil chose adjoining twin peaks to anchor his southern delimitation. There were no twin peaks where they were needed, 
only a flat area above the waterlogged valley protruded from the ground. We can create artificial peaks then. So, according to the leaders, did English Zidder. He drew the image of smooth-sided skyward rising peaks for them on a tablet. If it can be done, let it be, Enlil with approval said. Let them also serve as beacons. On the flatland above the river's valley, English Zidder had a scale model built. He perfected the rising angles and the four smooth sides that went with them. He placed a more prominent peak next to it, with its sides aligned with Earth's four corners. Its stones were cut and erected by the Anunnaki using their power tools. He placed the peak that was its twin beside it in a precise location. With galleries and chambers for pulsating crystals, he designed it. The leaders were invited to place the capstone on this artful peak to the heavens when it rose. The apex stone was made of electron, an alloy that give ill fashion. The sunlight reflected the horizon. At night, it looked like a pillar of fire, as the power of all the crystals was focused in a beam to the heavens. When the artful works that Ningish Zidda designed were completed and ready, the Anunnaki leaders of the Great Twin Peak entered, and at what they saw they marveled. Ekua, the house like a mountain, as they named it, was a beacon to the heavens. It was declared that the Anunnaki and the Deluge had survived and triumphed forever. Now the celestial chariots can receive gold from across the seas, and the chariots will carry gold to Nibiru for survival. From it to the east, where the sun on the designated day rises, they will ascend. They will descend to it in the southwest, where the sun sets on the designated day. The Nibiru crystals were then activated by Enlil's own hand. Inside, eerie lights started to flicker, and an enchanting hum broke silence. A great cry of joy erupted from the assembled Anunnaki. It was shining brighter than the sun outside the capstone all at once. Inmar was moved by the occasion, and recited and sang a poem. House like a mountain, house with a pointed peak. For heaven earth it is equipped. It is the handiwork of the Anunnaki. House bright and dark, house of heaven and earth, celestial boats it was put together by the Anunnaki. A house whose interior is illuminated by the reddish light of heaven. It emits a pulsating beam that reaches far and high. A lofty mountain of mountains, great and lofty fashioned, is beyond earthlings' comprehension. Equipment house, lofty house of eternity. A house whose components are expertly woven together. The great ones who circle to rest in the skies make their descent. A house that houses the rocket ships is a landmark with unfathomable insides. Its foundation stones are in contact with the water, and its large circumference is made of clay. Anu himself is the echo. Thus did Ninmar at the celebration recite and sing. While the Anunnaki celebrated their remarkable handiwork, Nki responded to Enlil's suggestion, saying, when in the coming days it will be asked, when and by whom was this marble fashioned? Let us build a monument beside the Twin Peaks, and let it proclaim the age of the lion, 
the image of Ningi Shida, the peak's designer, on its face. Let it be directed precisely toward the place of the celestial chariots. Let it be revealed to future generations when, by whom, and for what purpose. When the work to cut and shape the lion from the bedrock was proceeding, Marduk sent his father Enki words of agreement, saying, You promised to rule the entire planet for me. Now that others have granted me command and glory, I am left without task or dominion. So Enki suggested to Enlil, of the place of the celestial chariots, Utu must again be the commander. Let the gazing lion precisely eastward facing with Ningishzida's image be, said Enlil. The artifices are mounted in my former domain. My image must be on the lion. Ningishzida was irritated by Marduk's words, as with the other sons. Inerta and his brothers were roused by the clamor for domains. Everyone wanted land for themselves and devoted earthlings. Let not a contest celebration become, Inmar, amidst the raised voices, shouted. The earth is still in heaven. We Anunnaki are few, and there are only survivors of the earthlings. Let us not deprive Marduk Ningishzida of his honor, and let us heed Marduk's words. So said Ninmar, the peacemaker, to the contending leaders. For peace to prevail, habitable lands between us should be set apart. Enlil spoke to Enki. They agreed to make the peninsula an undisputed divider for the peacemaker Ninmar. Ulmun, land of missiles, they called it. To earthlings it was unfathomable. The habitable lands to the east were set aside for Enlil and his descendants, as well as the descendants of Ziusudra's two sons, Chep and Yafet. The dark-hued landmass that the Abzu included for Enki and his clan was for domains granted. The people of Ziusudra's middle son, Ham, were chosen to inhabit it. To appease his son, Enki proposed making Marduk their lord and master of their lands. Let it be as you wish, Enlil informed Enki of the situation. Inmar and his mother, Ninurta, were given a home in Tilman's mountainous south. Near a spring with date trees and a verdant valley it was located. Inerta terraced the mountain crest and established a fragrant garden for Ninmar. When this was accomplished, a signal was sent to all outposts on earth. Whirlwinds carried the gold nuggets from the mountainous regions over the ocean. From the place of the celestial chariots, gold was carried to Nibiru. Enlil and Enki decided on a new epithet name for Ninmar mediator on that momentous day. Inhasan, mistress of the mountain head, let us call her. Inmar was given the title Ninhasan by acclamation. Previously she was known as Ninmar. Praise to Ninhasan, the peacemaker on earth, the Anunnaki declared in unison. Ilmun, territory around the spaceport, was proclaimed a neutral zone. Ninmar was awarded and renamed Ninhasan. Marduk receives the Dark Lands, while the Enlilites get the Ancient Lands. Grandchildren of Marduk fight. Satu kills Asa while becoming pregnant, and Asa's wife, Asta, gives birth to Horon. In aerial combat above Hilman, Horon defeats Satu. The Enlilites consider it wise to construct the second spaceport. 
Muzi, the son of Enki, and Inanna, the granddaughter of Enlil, fell in love. Due to his fear of repercussions, Marduk causes the Muzi's death. Inanna is condemned to death and then revived for seeking his cause. Inanna wages war to capture and punish Marduk. The Enlilites invade his great mount stronghold. They shut the highest room to entomb Marduk alive. The wife of Marduk, Sarpani, and his son, Nabu, beg for his life. English Zida, who knows the mysteries of the mount, reaches Marduk. Marduk's life is saved, and he is exiled. Enki and Enlil allocate the earth to their other sons. The Anunnaki cried in unison, praised the Ninhasag on earth, the peacemaker. Inharsag was able to settle tempers during the first Shah after the deluge. Nibiru's thirst for riches made aspirations and rivalries essential. Thanks to Enki's preservation of life seeds, life gradually returned to Earth. Surviving populations were reinforced on land, in the air, and at sea. The Anunnaki found that the most precious relics were those of humanity. Like primitive laborers were formed in the past, the Anunnaki begged for civilized workers. Before the completion of the first Shah following the deluge, unanticipated events ruptured the ceasefire. The eruption was neither between the clans of Marduk and Inerta, nor Enki and Enlil. When Marduk's sons violated the truce with the aid of Igigi, while Marduk, Sopanid, and their children and grandchildren on Lamu waited, the deluge arrived. Asar and Satu fell in love with the daughters of Shamgars, chief of the Igigi. When they all returned to Earth, two siblings were engaged. Asar, also known as Astarth, made the selection, and Satu, also known as Nebat, was engaged. Asar opted to reside in the dark-colored plains with his father, Marduk. Satu was close to the landing site where the Igigi lived, and Shamgars had set up residence there. Shamgars was worried about the kingdoms of Earth, and asked, Where will the Igigi be? The second Igigi, Shamgars, also incited, which Nebat and Satu discussed regularly. By sticking with his father, Asar will become the lone heir and inherit the bountiful fields. So what did Shamgars and Nebat say to Satu daily? How Satu intends to retain the inheritance for himself and his daughter. On a day of good fortune, they prepared a feast and invited Igigi and the Anunnaki. Asar came unknowingly to rejoice with his brother. Eba, the sister of his husband, put up the tables and footstools. She donned attire and sang a song to the powerful Asar while holding a lyre. Satu offered him fatlings cut from prime roast beef with a salted knife. Shamgars offered Asar a massive cup of the homemade new wine he had prepared. He presented him with an impressive-looking giant jug and an elixir. Asar was joyful. He stood and sang and chanted while holding cymbals. Mixed wine suddenly overcame him, and he collapsed to the ground. The dinner host suggested that the other guests give him an excellent night's rest. Asar was transported to another room and placed in a coffin. He sealed the casket tightly and flung it into the ocean. When the news reached Marduk, her husband's father, Asta, mourned. He 
he scoured the sea for Arsar's coffin along the beaches of the dark-colored region until it was discovered. Arsar was severely battered in the ocean's depths. Coffin must be located immediately. The lifeless corpse of Arsar lay therein, and its breath had left its nostrils. Marduk hired his garments and applied ash on his forehead. My beloved son, the pain and mourning were significant as Sarfanid wailed and cried. Enki was upset and cried to his son, The curse of Ha'in has returned. Hastar wailed to the sky, appealing to Marduk for revenge and an heir. Zatu must perish. Please permit me to create a child from your sperm. May his name be remembered in your name, the lineage enduring. Sadly, this cannot be, Enki remarked to Marduk and Asta. Sibling who murdered the sibling's sibling shall be the keeper. For this reason, Satu must be preserved. You must conceive Asa's successor from his sperm. Asta was bewildered by these twists of destiny. Disturbed, she resolved to break the rules. Asta, the live seed of Asa, was taken from his palace before his corpse was wrapped in a shroud and put in a shrine for preservation. Asta used it to compel Asa to carry an heir and an angel of vengeance. Inki and his sons, as well as Marduk and his siblings, received Satu's message. I am Marduk's only heir and successor. I shall be the master of the land of the two narrows. Astar contested the accusation before the Anunnaki Council, stating, I am pregnant with Asa's successor. She felt her husband's anger in the river's bulrushes concealing a kid. She avoided Satu. She named the kid Huron and nurtured him to be his father's avenger. This upset Satu. Shamgars, motivated by ambition, did not recede. From one earth year to the next, Igigi and their children from the landing place expanded until they reached the boundaries of Kilman, the holy territory of Minhasan. Ace of the Celestial Chariots was in danger of being invaded by Igigi and their earthling allies. In the dark colored countries, the kid Huron, who had been changed into a hero by Earth's rapid life cycles, was a hero. Huron was adopted by his great uncle Gibil, who also taught and schooled him. For him, Gibil fashioned flying shoes. He could soar like a hawk. For him, Gibil fashioned a heavenly harpoon. Its arrows were missiles. Gibil acquired metalworking and blacksmithing skills in the southern islands. Oron discovered the secret of the iron Gibil metal. Oron fashioned weapons from the material and recruited an army of earthlings. They marched through land and water to attack Satu and the Igigi in the north. Oron's earthling army has arrived at the bounty of Kilman, the land of missiles, where Oron and his forces are preparing to attack. Satu's response to Horon's challenge is as follows. Let's participate in a one-on-one -on -one match. Horon awaited in the air above Filman, Satu in his fighting whirlwind. Satu fired a poisoned arrow at him as he soared at him like a hawk. Horon collapsed as if stung by a scorpion. When Asta saw this, 
she cried out for heaven and for Nikishzida. Nikishzida descended from his heavenly vessel to rescue the hero of his mother. The magical talents of Nikishzida transformed the poison into human blood. By daybreak, Poron was cured and rose from the grave. Then, Ningish Zida gifted Oron with a blazing pillar, like a celestial fish with fins and a fire tail. His eyes changed from blue to red to blue as their hues shifted. They ascended toward the victorious Satu Horon in the fiery pillar. They followed one another far and wide. The conflict was vicious and fatal. Horon's flaming pillar was struck first. Then Horon Satu struck with his harpoon. Horon threw Satu at the ground and chained him with feathers. When Horon and his kidnapped uncle came before the council, they saw that he was blind and had deformed testicles. He stood like an abandoned jar. That blind and airless Satu survived. What did Asta then say to the council? Council determined how his mortal existence among the Agigi would terminate. Horon, victorious, proclaimed that he would inherit his father's reign. The council's decision was written on a metal tablet and put in the Hall of Records. Harduk was happy with the judgment, but grieved by what had transpired. Horon was a son of Asa, but since he was descended from Shamgar's the Agigi, he was not granted a realm like the Anunnaki. After losing both sons, Marduk and Saponit sought comfort from one another. Over time, they had another son, whom they called Nabu, Prophet Bearer. This is why a new chariot was constructed in the distant past, and Marduk's love for Demuzi and Inanna was broken following Demuzi's death. Enlil gathered his three sons to a conference after Horon and Satu's dispute and aerial combat over Tilman. Concerned about what was occurring, he informed them, First, the earthlings were made in our image, and then the Anunnaki descendants were produced in the image and likeness of the earthlings. Then, his brother murdered Cain. Today, a son of Marduk is his brother's murderer. An Anunnaki descendant organized an army for the first time in history. He put weapons made from secret Anunnaki metal in their hands. From the time when Alalu and Anzu questioned our validity, Igigi disruption and rule-breaking have persisted. The beacon peaks inside Marduk's domain have been located, as has the Igigi's landing site. The Igigi are now en route to the place of the chariots. All the heaven-earth infrastructures they say will be constructed in Satu's honor. So Enlil informed his three sons, posing as a countermeasure, an alternate heaven-earth facility in the hidden institution. Let it be in Ninurta's kingdom beyond the seas, surrounded by trustworthy earthlings. Thus Ninurta was assigned for covert assignment. In the mountainous regions beyond the seas, on the shores of a large lake, he was building a new heaven-earth connection inside an enclosure. The amenities are rudimentary, but they will serve an important function. At the base of the mountains, where the gold nuggets were strewn, he picked a level, solid region and designated the ascending and descending paths. 
Eventually, Ninurta proclaimed to his father, Enlil, From there, gold shipments may continue to Nibiru, and if necessary, we can ascend. What had begun as a good occasion, but turned into a tragedy, ended at that time. Muzi 